had to reach a high bar to make it into this record, in, in our opinion. We've always been intrigued by uh, the grand scheme of things and really looking deep inside of ourselves for subject matter. I basically the whole time sent Matt the craziest clips we were filming. It's classic hard rock. It's classic event sevenfold. Mixing with Andy Wallace is such a gift and an honor. I think just running with a motif is what I had in mind throughout the song. Wow. My existence shouldn't be. Yet here I am. That's kind of cool. everybody and welcome to tracks the official Avenged sevenfold podcast taking you through the Avenged sevenfold back catalog one song at a time i am your host bees and it is an honor to be taking you further into the world that is life is but a dream we are going to be discussing a song on that very record pretty soon actually i'm going to keep the waffle at the beginning of this podcast to an absolute minimum because not only are we delving into the song as we always do at the end of this episode we're going to bring you music theory with sin where guitar player sinister gates takes you inside some of the more interesting songwriting and instrument choices especially for this particular song And at the end of this podcast, we are going to be joined by the incredibly talented Zoe Katz, the person behind the music video to this song. You've noticed probably that I haven't said the actual song title to track two, Our Life is But a Dream. That is for a very specific reason. Here is Matt to explain. Mattel is the name of the song. You know, it's uh, something that I grew up with in the 80s and 90s, and I thought it was a household thing. But I've seen from the reviews and the uh, YouTube commentary that there's many people that aren't familiar with Mattel. And I also want to point out that I think it's interesting that, you know, we wrote this song three years ago. And it's very strange that at this moment in time, Mattel came back huge with the Barbie movie. Um, And I'm sure once we release what we're doing, and the idea of the song, people will say, oh, look what they, they jumped on this. Like, and it's, that's just simply not true. Um, we have demos of this song being called Mattel with the lyrics from three, three and a half years ago, possibly even four years ago. So it's just very crazy timing and it may work out for our benefit because a lot of people are looking at the movie right now and they're looking at what this whole thing is. Honestly, to be completely honest, you know, people know I'm a huge fan of Aqua and, um, Aqua's biggest song, obviously, is Barbie Girl. And I kind of wanted to write a, a heavy metal version of that, but like a, another layer deeper in terms of not just everything's fake, but um, questioning the idea of free will. So just taking it another step further and doing it in our own sort of avant-garde way. And because I know you'll be wondering on this one, Brooks was the only member of Avenged Sevenfold who had seen the Barbie movie at the time of recording. Here's what he had to say about it. I saw it with my family, and uh, I really loved it, especially the um, her speech on, uh, you know, the famous line is not being enough. And uh, I loved, I just loved her um, soliloquy on uh, what's expected of women. But yeah, it, it was fantastic. Staying on the movie theme, show of hands, who has seen The Truman Show? Because it was a massive movie at the time, one of Jim Carrey's biggest films, but at the time is now 25 years ago, seeing as The Truman Show came out in 1998. Yep, 
We are all that old, but I digress. The Truman Show is, of course, responsible for the good afternoon, good evening and good night line in Mattel. And the topic of free will dominates the theme of this song. So here's Shads and the inimitable Johnny Christ to tell you all about the Jim Carrey, oh my God, this is kind of our reality now classic. I mean, I remember watching the Truman Show. Uh, I was in middle school, you know, early teenager. And man, it really spoke to me. Like I was like, what if, if, I mean, some days, I don't know if it's for everybody. Some days you wake up and like Axl Rose said and Guns N' Roses was like, it's so easy when everyone's trying to please me. Now, if you felt that way at any point in your life, you're like, why is everyone so nice to me today? Like, what the hell's going on? And if it kept happening over and over again, you might start to think that like something's a little weird here. It's not a story that hasn't been told before, right? But I thought I feel like The Truman Show does a really good job of it. The movie itself is produced well, written well, acted well. It really captures like what that would be like and how it's not so far-fetched, especially looking at close to 30 years later, you know, like look at the re- look at what has happened since that movie uh came out to reality TV. Uh go a little bit further. There was that movie called Boy uh, not too long ago, that was uh, that was literally a Diet Coke version of the Truman Show. I mean, they literally followed, the, they documented everything that from this baby to to his adulthood and put it out there. It really does just show like how everything has gone and and evolved in reality TV and what people want to know and privacy and what people want to know about other people. And I think a lot of that has to do with realizing that we're all kind of stuck in the same thing and like how are you managing this what do you do on a day-to-day basis to manage this fucking life you know what i mean like what am i missing what can i take away from from what 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 you got going on i think that's part of it i think because at the end of the day he's living in this world his entire life he at one point he tries to leave for a vacation and they just like say you there's no way you can't go on vacation because he's in a bubble he didn't realize he's in a, quite literally a bubble his whole life and so everything in there is fake. Everything in there is 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 a is a giant movie set, if you will, or di- giant TV set. And I think the song Mattel kind of makes that even a bigger scope, right? Like you're looking at it. It's, it's not just a TV set in this one spot, literally. It's that we're all part of the TV set. Send our thoughts with you into your kin. And in case we don't see you again. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. We obviously take one of the lines that uh, Jim Carrey uses every day. He starts noticing that things are on a loop constantly. Whatever he's doing, there's all these kind of outside actions that are kind of directing him or pushing him into um, decisions that he makes and his everyday life, he realizes is all a part of a game show. So, you know, the song Mattel is more of like a, a context on free will, but we felt the Truman Show was also a really cool um, idea of everything that you think is real may not necessarily be uh, what is actually happening. Truman Show is cool because it just shows like the human emotion of going through and learning things that are earth shattering. They may uh, really put some sort of shift in your life. And, and, you know, when, when Truman finds out that his wife doesn't really love him and she's a paid actor and that um, his job is all set up for someone else's entertainment, it's just a really cool movie that people should, should check out for sure. All right. Buckle up, everybody. You thought you'd come in for just a simple music podcast, eh? Thought we were just going to talk about some big old riffs. Well, here goes. We are about to fall down the rabbit hole of talking about whether or not human beings have free will. 
avenged. As far as being best friends, we come into some pretty deep conversations about anything and everything, uh, including free will or, or lack thereof. And, you know, we're just a bunch of guys that have spent so much time together and have so much life experience together and apart from each other that, you know, like all other humans, I guess, we're just trying to figure it out. But I think we try and do it on a deeper level. I think we peel back the layers and try and look at all aspects of our own lives and each other's lives. And I mean, I think we've always been pretty insightful, but looking back on our younger selves, we probably didn't dig as deep. You know, we've always been intrigued by uh, the grand scheme of things and uh, really looking deep inside of ourselves for subject matter and stuff that's exciting and, and interesting to us. You know, when I joined the band, um, one of the commonalities that Matt and I had was Sam Harris. And um, I was a longtime fan of, of his, you know, five years prior to, to meeting Matt. Um, and I'm, I'm not so sure about the other guys. Uh, they're all aware of Sam, but um, I know Matt is an avid follower of Sam's work, as am I. So, yeah, we, we listened to all of us podcasts and I read the Free Will book and you know, it definitely open, opens your eyes to a, a different perspective of a concept that, you know, wasn't really challenged that much to my, to my knowledge. So, so yeah, Sam is definitely a topic that we uh, discuss on a regular basis. I think it's really interesting. And the more that I observe myself and the, the, way, the more that I observe where my thoughts come from, and the more that I observe why I picked up that water or why I drink that coffee, I can usually kind of take a few steps back and realize that that was an action because of a prior action. And then if I take another step back, that action, in fact, that made me grab the coffee was also an action of a prior action. And you keep going back and back and then you run into your parents and then you run into your grandparents and you have to wonder, well, is there any point where there was just randomness that was involved because that, that breaks the laws of physics or is outside the bounds of the things we understand? And the answer is no. There's really nowhere that that happens unless you believe at some point, you know, something crazy, a wormhole, you know, came out of nowhere and something just broke the laws of physics and created some sort of chain reaction that got you to where you're at. But if you follow things backwards, you'll notice that, you know, even the thoughts that arise in your head, even though you don't think them before they're thought, there's usually a reason why they were thought. Again, based on genetics and time, the past. And so when you really sit down and, and, and do this exercise for, you know, a month, two months, three months, where you just sit with yourself and observe the thoughts as they come and kind of watch them pass by and decide whether you're going to do something with them, decide, I use that word in quotes, you start to really question the idea of how much you're actually in control or if you are simply someone that rationalizes that you made a decision when really the decision was already made for you. Um, and, and a lot of stuff falls out of that, obviously, but that's something I would implore or, or, or ask everyone um, to try, you know, sit with yourself for 10 minutes and see if you can think your thoughts before you're th their thought. You've seen the meme, right? There's two people on a bus. They're both looking out of the window on their side of the bus. One side, it's sunny, the grass is green and everything is awesome. You know, that. The other side, dark, grey, depressing. But they're both saying the same thing. If one of the guys is looking out of his side and going, oh, nothing matters, life is meaningless. And the other guy out of the sunny side is going, woohoo! Nothing matters anyway, man. Life is meaningless. Where do the members of Avenged Sevenfold sit on that? Oh, man. I'm jumping back and forth on the bus from, from both windows, and I fully embrace it. I fully embrace it. Having, having kids now and trying to maintain peace within a house with an eight-year-old and a four-year-old and a wife, and at any given moment, somebody's having the worst day of their life and somebody's having the best day of their life, and they're fighting because of that. And the greatest part about it is when I'm, when I'm feeling like nothing matters, this is all bullshit, you know, what's the point? You can kind of look and jump to the other side, like, well, like, this is the point. Like, this is amazing. The chaos that's happening around me is amazing. 
you know, whatever problem I'm sad about right now is going to get fixed because they always do, or I'm going to be dead and not care about it. And when I'm dead, maybe I'll fucking float around the universe in energy form for the rest of all time. Who knows what's going to happen, but you know what? It's not so bad. This is not so bad. Like take a look around you, all the problems that we have. And, and granted, we're very, very fortunate. Um, not just the band, but where we're at, like we're not, you know, getting bombs dropped on us and, and just terrible things out of our situation. And, and I think people even try to find, you know, light in those situations It's part of being a human. You take the best times, you take the worst times. Uh, I try and be way more, um, less pessimistic now that I'm older, you know, everything kind of used to get to me. I would get under my skin. I get easily annoyed. And and now that I'm older, I kind of just accept it, enjoy the ride. I'm able to laugh about things a lot more. Just knowing that things don't really matter so much on, on a grand scale is just kind of liberating. The beauty of being a human is that when, when, when information gets input into us, because of how complex we are, we have so many options that can pop out. Now, are you choosing which option you choose? In my opinion, no, you're not. But the beauty is sort of in this idea that we can rationalize, think about what's going on and kind of observe this place in a very complex way that most other creatures or things that we know of can't. And so there's a beauty there. And there's also a beauty of feeling love. And there's a beauty of cultivating a lifestyle or cultivating a a world that you can enjoy while you're here. So I am the guy on the bus that cheers that life is meaningless. But I think all people, because of the way we're wired, um, I think we all yearn for some sort of purpose. And the easy route is to have the purpose handed to you. And it's almost like, but if a purpose is handed to you, then you are kind of a slave to the purpose. So I do cheer, but I also have this very human um, reaction and emotion and feeling, man, what if there was more? What if there was somewhere to go? Or these relationships that you have in your whole life, do they really just, is that it, right? And there's another great quote, death has nothing to do with life and life has nothing to do with death. Because once you cross over, there is no memory, there is no pain, there is no sort of relationship. So they really, it's something that we worry about and we want to create legacies and we want to feel love and we want to do all these things. But once you do cross over the prospect of those things kind of transferring with you or you feeling the pain or feeling the loss, they go away. It's like when you go to bed at night. So these conversations are really hard to have in one lane because there's so many things that fall out of, you know, a question like, how do you feel about, you know, not having a purpose? And then, then how do you feel about free will? And how do you feel about deep time? And how do you feel about genetics? And how do you feel about, you know, so all these things play together in a way that they kind of have this beautiful dance with each other, but they're very hard to not just take apart and then just go down each rabbit hole individually. I think with an atheistic uh, view, in a way, life doesn't need to be meaningless. They may run, certain atheists may run with that notion, but if you have a child, there's meaning there. If if you fall in love, there's meaning there. So I, I think with, you know, non-spiritual or religious people, you know, there's they, they still find meaning in other ways, but they just redefined it differently. You know, I, I think with learning about science, which I'm a you know, uh, advocate of, you know, it, it definitely inspires me knowing, you know, just how we are speck of dust on this earth. And, and once you, once you realize that, you know, you just conduct your life differently. And, um, I've been watching the Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmos series with my kids and, uh, it kind of reinforces what I'm saying. And I've just always had a sense of wonderment, you know, even even with my religious friends and having conversations about what they believe in, I have Mormon friends, I have Christian friends, and, you know, it makes for a great conversation, um, you know, as long as they 
tell me that I'm not going to hell and um, I'm an asshole for not believing what they believe in, then we can have a, a quality conversation. But yeah, those those are my favorite conversations is having opposing views, but doing it with civility. I want to be able to say without a shadow of doubt, I lean towards the, ah, life is meaningless. I, I really do. But to be honest, I, I, it's a struggle, man. I think I'm somewhere in the middle because I mean, there's the other part of me is like, oh, you dwell on it too much. And then you start to think life is meaningless. Like what the fuck? But you know, there's life is meaningless isn't supposed to be bad. In my opinion, it's not, it's, it just kind of shows you that this is all you got. Be thankful too. be like, I mean, I know everyone has different levels of life and I can only talk about my perspective in this life that I was given. I cannot, I will not even pretend to, to put myself in somebody else's shoes because this is, this is the only perspective I got guys. This, all of these uh, neutrons and protons and atoms and everything, all the nucleuses that was all put together, all my DNA, everything that was figured out in my fucking mother's womb is the only perspective I'm, I'm going to have. That's it. And, and then the, the things that have happened in my life to shape those things along the way. No one person is alike in that way because you're going to have different experiences, different DNA, different everything. You're not going to have the same look at the exact same picture, which is life. So I say all that to come back to the fact that if you understand that life is kind of meaningless, you can kind of have a little bit more fun with it and a little bit more love. You know what I mean? Like you got to just go, well, all right, I could go that side and just sit there and then, well, what now? You know, get get kind of sad about it or, you know, angry. Maybe you want to do something bad. Or where I like to try to live my life is, wow, my existence shouldn't be. Yet here I am. That's kind of cool. I'm not here to push any agenda on anybody. This is simply a song that explores that side of it. And I think Mattel and Barbie and the things that, um, Barbie may realize or Ken may realize are the same things that we may realize. And so I think it's a great metaphor for this song and the lyrical content. And I think it makes it a little more fun than sitting there and going like, oh, you don't have free will. <laughs> Pack it up. <laughs> Nothing means anything. At all. Out of stock, the end is nigh. It's a fun thing to explore. And, and again, like the time, the first time you hear that it's possible that we don't have free will, the knee jerk reaction is like, fuck that. That's stupid. That's a rabbit hole. That's makes no sense. But it's actually interesting if you listen to people like Sam Harris or, or Brian Green on free will. Brian Green's got a little bit more of a positive spin on it which is like, hey, you are very complex and there are a lot of things that could happen, but are you making the choice? Absolutely not. There's actually no room for what we know at this point in neuroscience. There's no room for free will. It would have to come from outside of the laws of physics and be something that's special and sprinkled on top. You know, at the end of the day, even if you sit there and go, Matt's lost his mind. He's off his rocker. I don't believe in any of that. I make my choice. I chose chocolate when I could have chose vanilla. He's an idiot. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, posing these questions and kind of maybe coming back to them at some point and then kind of figuring these things out actually have a lot of fallout with how we have a society, right? They have a lot of fault. The more we learn, the more that we can direct and know how to create a ecosystem that everyone can live together in society and we can all agree on certain things. And free will is a big one. You know, if we found out we didn't have free will or did have free will, that could change a lot. The way we punish people, the way we treat people, the way we do medication, the way we have empathy for people. So many things fall out of it. So I think there are important things to talk about. But even if you don't, if you think I've lost my mind and I'm off my rocker, um, the song should be fun in a way. And the video is fun in a way that at a surface level, you can enjoy it and you can say, these are some funny concepts. I get it. Everything's fake. Ha ha ha.
Let's bring on the riffs. Don't forget, Music Theory with Sin is coming up a little bit later on at the end of this episode, just in case you were wondering where his succulent tones have been thus far. But let's talk about Mattel's metal, shall we? While Game Over, the first track on Life Is But A Dream, is a purposefully discombobulating experience. It's fraught with twists and turns and it flips you around, all Gran Turismo style. But when Mattel starts and that 4-4 bang your melon head stomp kicks in, everybody who has ever loved this band is in the room all together. I think if the listener isn't, say, as open listening to, you know, uh, We Love You or songs, you know, of that magnitude, you know, I, th- I think, yeah, that uh, I think uh, Mattel is definitely more relatable to them. And, you know, by how it starts out with, you know, just straightforward, again, four on the floor rock beat, uh, you know, I, I think that's somewhat familiar territory, you know, in, until you get deeper into the song and we, we kind of take some circuitous routes. It was one of the first songs we made. So you can tell it kind of came out of not knowing necessarily where the record was going to go and how far we could stretch the boundaries. And I think, you know, we made a, a couple songs that probably live in this realm that weren't quite, had to reach a high bar to, to make it into this record in, in our opinion. And this made the cut because it was experimental enough. It went into modes that we um, really enjoy, like R&B modes. It used instrumentation that we really enjoyed. It had a, a, a sort of narrative and a concept of, of how we wanted, like, the hell to peace, hell to peace, groove, fast, groove, fast. You know, like, it had all the things that marked, it checked all the boxes that we wanted if it was going to live in that sort of space. You had the Tom hit, boom. Immediately, you see everyone bobbing their head to it. You know, it's like they don't actually know what song we're playing yet. <laughs> it's like it's just, and it's like that's the. I mean, I I want to say I want to say that's it's classic hard rock. It's classic Avenged Sevenfold. Is is that is that kind of thing? It's something that we've has become part of our DNA as a band. Like just being able to have those riff moments. It, it took us a lot of years to figure those out too, by the way. It wasn't like it was just like, yeah, we did that on sounding. No, it, it, it took some albums and some, and some work to get to this point. But now it's, I love it because I didn't even realize it when I'm listening and being a part of creating this record and the song and playing on it and doing everything. I didn't, I don't even realize it anymore until I see it live and I'm like, or I see other people do it. And I go, oh yeah, that's part of our DNA now. Like, that's just like, that's part of our songs is like, we have this, we have these moments where it's infectious and you're, there's no, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, it's just, that's what it is. When it kicks in, it's like, um, it sets all the gears in motion for the rest of the concert. Because when you start with game over, people are, there's so such a wide range of emotions that they're feeling. They're, they're confused. It's frantic. It's hectic. And, you know, it takes you on this, ride in all directions and when it ends and you hear you know the drums kick in to Mattel it becomes familiar it's kind of the glue that reminds you who Avenged is and it's kind of all designed to be a a sensory overload but you can see the reaction of the fans and even the reaction of the way that I feel on stage you feel more at home because even we all feel uncomfortable during game over because that's the point of it and if we weren't uncomfortable and the fans weren't uncomfortable, we didn't serve the purpose that we were trying to aim for of making a song that makes you uneasy. Mattel kind of does the opposite. It's a familiar avenge that, you know, and it gets a little frantic. It gets hectic, but it gets heavy. I mean, it's so fun to play. It's just so refreshing to play songs that are challenging to you as a musician, but fun and draw such a great reaction live. It's also probably, it's kind of good maybe to have some things like this on the record where they bridge it, but I don't feel like if you're listening to Life is But a Dream and you hate all the old stuff, I don't think you're going to get to Mattel and go like, oh, I like the whole record, but I don't like Mattel. I think it still lives with the record in a way that it can feel like it. it's a part of Life is But a Dream, but 
old fans that simply haven't taken the jump with the stage and with Life is But a Dream, they can go, okay, like I can, I can put Mattel and Afterlife together and they kind of, they can work. But it, but it also the modes and the way we're writing it is just, it's different. You know, it's got a different feel than those other songs. So Life is But a Dream is an album filled with superb songs. But within those songs are some truly breathtaking ideas, moments and sounds. And one of those sounds definitely exists in Mattel. As the drums get grooving and the guitars and the bass get chugging, a sound sears over the top of the rhythm track, creating one of the most unique and impactful sounds I have heard on a rock record in forever, if not full stop. That sound is exactly what I heard when I did a bunch of mushrooms, like when I was like, you know, 20, 21 or something. And I was having the best time. And all of a sudden I went from having the best time to just a terrible trip. And I was, you know, everything was weird and, and, and interesting. And all of a sudden I heard like just a buzz solving. And, and I was like, oh shit, I'm totally fucked. Like my brain is sawing itself in half and it kept like repeating that sound. <laughs> Everyone's going to love this one. So it's a combination of the old 8-bit video games that I used to play or I still play. I have the arcade table up in my bonus room. It's a, it's a combination of the game 1942 and Galaga when the dive bombs happen, in my opinion. It, it's like the perfect... Like sound, both sound, and then like a little bit more high pitch for like the Galaga sound. But like, it's almost just 1942 to me. If anyone knows that game, or just go type in on YouTube 1942 theme song, you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Or sound effects, because it's it, it's a very if you've ever played the game before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That dive bomb, that. Oh, God, I think my son was just playing it a second ago here, actually. I think that using the instrument first and foremost as like setting the stage and sort of um, creating vibes, that's what Brian did really well on this record where he wasn't he wasn't going to solo first. He wasn't going to lead first. He was going to, what do we need to do to create an atmosphere before we present you this song, right? And coming out of Game Over, which is like stop and go, stop and go, all over the place, chaos, this one brings you straight into like sort of a groove, but it also wants to set you up for like sort of a um, an uneasy sort of feeling, ambiguous sort of like, okay, where are we going here? But it doesn't sound good, right? It doesn't sound like this is going to be a cheerful place. And so we experimented a lot with getting tones. And, and honestly, at the beginning, it was just that groove, but we just felt it was too standard. And so when he got on the guitar and got the slide and, and ran it through some things, just that sort of, it's like almost like a, a siren, but it's not trying to be a siren. It's, it's just thinking about the song as a soundscape instead of it as a song. It's, it's texture, right? So finding those moments where, you know, it fits and you, you play it, you know, every, every eight bars, but it becomes a motif, you know, that's, that's that's what always catches my attention and i and i think we we caught that you know on that intro you know even in the verses were I'm playing the the trap hi hats against um, you know that that kick pattern. I, I wanted something with uh, continuity, you know. So I, I think I think just running with a motif is what I had in mind throughout the song.
know this might sound crazy, but I've smelled the plastic daisies, and it seems we've found ourselves in... I knew right away when I heard the line and the melody that it was going to create a very serious what the fuck moment for the listener because a lot of times people expect us to build into a chorus that, you know, becomes more powerful and ride on that sort of philosophy, you know, build up to a big powerful chorus. And we've done it before, you know, we've done it in songs like Nightmare and I mean so many of the hits that for this time around to do the opposite and basically pull back all the, the layers and really slow everything down and use like the different like Mellotron sounds and stuff and really take the blood pressure down significantly was a a little bit different approach. And I knew that fans would, would react differently to it. And then it comes in way more powerful. So it was kind of a, a surprise, a little bit of a shock and awe by reversing what people would expect us to do. It really feels like this drug tripped out plastic world that we're bringing you into. And you kind of are able to visualize it because it's so laid back and because of the lyrics are so pronounced. I mean, you can't hear that part without thinking about being in this plastic weird world. And, and that's the whole point of it, I think is, is to just create something more for your mind's eye, you know, than, than something that just sounds good. My vinyl skin provides protection. It holds in place my plastic bones. Cast button eyes reflect an image And all seems as it should But there's nobody home Watching him sing now is watching him use his voice as an instrument. Whereas in the early days, it was just singing and screaming. And he's always had a great voice, you know. He's it's insanely unique, powerful unparalleled range. I mean, he's just got an amazing voice, but he, he used it this time around more like what all of our all time favorite singers do, which is use their voice as an instrument, as opposed to just singing or emulating styles. You know, when you really listen to Mike Patton or Rivers Cuomo or Axl Rose, those guys are using their voice as an instrument. They're, you know, it's like a reed and it's like a brass section. It's like a horn section. It's like um, so much more than just singing. Um, all the greatest singers do it. You don't realize it until you're older and you actually listen. You're like there's, there's a true art to this. And you know, there's people that can go up there and just wail and sing and it's good. But to get those tones and textures, it requires such a, a different um, approach. And I've seen him do it throughout our career. I mean, going from, screaming in the way that he would sing on our first album to waking the fallen. And all of a sudden this tone and texture that he had was just so powerful. And it kind of changes a little bit on every album and will continue to change because humans voices change. I mean, that's, that's just part of it. And to be able to use his voice now in such a powerful, unique way, that's so identifiably him. It's fun. I love watching that guy sing. There's a lot of um, roads and, I think there's some Mellotron on this. There might be some, no, it may just be Rhodes. But a lot of that just comes from R&B. Like um, a lot of Warren G and Nate Dogg type stuff. And before that, a lot of Stevie Wonder. There's a lot of R. Kelly influence on this song with some of the run-ups. Melting sun LED beams from the sky being held on a string while boredom tears me apart seems those are not traditional bluesy rock runs those are r&b runs and um even the the way we kind of outline and phrase those chords are just very like childlike uh nursery rhyme sort of feelings 
And so, yeah, where we're where we're kind of being influenced from is a lot different than where we used to pull from um, or the modes we're used to writing in. But I think if you kind of surround it with things that people are used to, heavy guitars, groove, you know, the four on the floor stomp in the beginning, um, I think then they can kind of, you know, kind of take them by the hand and bring them into this new world. beginning to reach the conclusion of our journey on all things Mattel. Don't get too bummed out though. Two extra interviews coming up right now. First, we have Music Theory with Sin. We do this every single month, delving into the more musical aspects of all things Mattel. Coming up after that, Zoe Cat the very talented robot chicken alumni who is responsible for the Mattel video. We're going to be talking to her, but first, you know how we do it. Music Theory with Sid. So, okay, this is the first time that we've done a music theory since everybody has heard the record. And a question that I wanted to to ask you and have wanted to ask you since the very first time I heard it is mixing this record sin like making sure everything stands out it's one thing to have a lot of ideas but some bands can crush an awful lot of ideas on top of each other and none of them stand out how difficult was it to get a final mix for life is but a dream yeah at this at this point it's everything because i think a, a common philosophy 101 of production is the bigger you want it the less you do to the arrangement. And we we kind of tried and experimented with that. That's not who we are at our core. We're in everything belongs everywhere type of band. It's just got to be the right shit. So mixing is huge. It is absolutely huge. Um, and at this point, mixing with Andy Wallace is is such a gift and an honor, not just because of his talent, but because of his lack of hubris, his, uh, his humble nature, his collaborative nature. Um, we, we just, we picked apart his work like crazy. Nobody can lay a foundation or set the table. So he spends a day, sometimes a couple of days on a song and you show up. Yeah. Show up at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning next day. And then you're not listening to a song by five in the afternoon. Um, and then he hears stuff and then he kicks you out of the room and he wants to do shit. But then when it's done, it's like, okay, can I go fuck with some stuff? He's like, sure, get in there. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> back to childlike just, wonder. Yeah. And then you like turn off half of half of his stuff. Like I'm talking about his ideas of reverbs or different things, his ideas of compression. I mean, the way he EQs stuff and, and really sets levels um, foundationally. Um, and, and basic compression is magic and it's fundamental shit. That is just the fundamentals. What he does with the fundamentals are crazy. And then it lets us get into the more expressive, maybe even avant-garde styles of mixing, like blowing up compressors, um, crazy panning, reverse reverbs, really delicate, intricate attention to drum detail, which I think would be, I think the guys would agree that the, the time that we, spent on the drums after Andy had set the table for us was, was, uh, was grueling to say the least. I mean, 15 hour days on average to get these things going to, to set our own creative table to kind of then readjust some, some volumes and, and stuff like that. So we, I mean, we just, we spent all the time in the world to do it. I mean, two months mixing this record, which is, which is a long time. And it's, it's not like somebody mixed, like sometimes they say like the, the Black Album t- took a year, took two years, whatever. That is like, there, there's a little time and they kind of throw it to some other people. They do some shit. Well, we didn't, we don't have that luxury. We, and we like to do things ourselves. So we, we sat there until it was right. We didn't just say, okay, we're going to move on to another dude, another this. Like we know what we're all capable of doing with, with Andy Wallace at the helm. 
Um, and so we just, we stayed in the fucking Poconos, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sick and underslept and, you know, spracked out on coffee and missing our families. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. Just, and we, we spared no expense until, until we could hear everything. Solo man on this song is so it's like an R&B Cthulhu rising from the water. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. I'm probably the most proud of this solo on the record. This was probably, you know, the second <clears throat> of the most ambitious of the two solos for me. The other one being Nobody, which was an epic fail as I picked up um, that eight string headless while we were doing the nobody thing and just, you know, played a couple of things for you. And it just sounds like poor man slide guitar. This was absolutely a flawless victory. It took a, a shit ton of programming to get all those things to work well while you're trying to play a beautiful melody that's harmonized with an expression pedal while chaos is ensuing under you. So just to get the right harmonies, um, programmed, I mean, this, this took, this took months. So this was absolutely an idea I had in my head that took months to program to get all the different players to play together. A lot of harmonizers controlled by expression pedals and the way you put it in the chain is super important. And I don't think I'm ready to diverge that <laughs> god no no when <laughs> when you mate when you have put months into making a sound that makes it sound like Kanye West can do something Lovecraftian and I could not <laughs> believe when it was guitar genuinely like hand yeah. on heart when I saw when I saw you live and watched you play it on guitar I was like get out of fucking town I thought you'd have a, synth a synthesizer or something up there wild influences it's like I, I love that when people pointed out on g that there's slight superstition uh strut i could i can hear it now on the metal of that riff but it feels like stevie and like a lot of like traditional r&b but with today's studio sound feels like it's got its dna into bits of this song and this record for sure um we've been kind of doing this <clears throat> type of stuff uh, maybe not so much harmonically, but definitely borrowing from R&B and hip hop since uh, since the White Album. Yeah, and I think now we aren't nearly as afraid to kind of wear it more on our sleeves, or at least the harmonic language of of R&B. It's just so beautiful, and it's it's familiar too. It's not like it's that far away from the Beatles and stuff. I mean, they just modulate beautifully from, you know, parallel major, parallel modern, like the modal mixture shit that they're doing, going from Mixolydian uh, to Lydian to whatever it is, uh, you know, um, with the root notes staying the same, that type of stuff. And then those, you know, like, like that's, that's essentially, to be, to be honest, that's it. I mean, they're just doing these extended harmonies that make it R&B. So, so if you're playing in G and like a, and a D sharp, comes in which if you just play the one three five that's just like that's going to be kind of classical and just really epic sort of sounding but if you if you take that d sharp and you make it a major seventh or a major major nine over six or something like that now you have this harmony on top that's just now you're just in a different genre now you're in r&b so it's a lot of extended harmony on a, on a lot of basic harmonic principles that the beatles borrowed from from tons of R&B and, you know, that, that whole era, uh, 50s, 40s, 50s and 60s and stuff like that. Um, and so we're just, we're just huge fans of it. And 
and the way we kind of sing over stuff, I think just, you know, from our upbringing, definitely my upbringing, my dad was huge into, into R&B and played for, you know, Tower of Power. I had a Tower of Power uh, cover band when I was in ninth grade and Fishbone's one of my favorite bands. I mean, just that's how I like to play and sing. And, and so when we, you know, are comfortable at this point in time and we're exchanging melodies and stuff, that's kind of where, where my head's usually going to, going to kind of be at. So definitely a lot of fun to just own it, accept it and, and build on it. Um, especially when it's, when it's a metal band, <laughs> that's definitely fun. <laughs> That sound is apocalyptic. To me, it sounds like... <laughs> it sounds to me what the sound should be for, you know, June, when Shai yeah. Halud come out of the, yeah. I'm out of the sand. Uh, that yes. is the sound of Shai Halud. That, oh, to me, unbelievable, man. Where does that, that come from? Thank you. It's, it's special, man. Well, I, I was kind of singing it around the studio as a joke, like... <laughs> and... I knew we would kind of maybe wanted to keep it, you know, kind of basic there, but I kept singing it. But the more I was, uh, the more I was thinking about it, I just kind of like, fuck, you keep singing this part. And Matt's like, go fucking lay it down. Right away, I knew I didn't want it to be that. It was kind of a major third, a goofy kind of major third that just goes over as a do, 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 do. So it's actually a major third in time with it. Um, but I wanted to loosen up the, the time and I wanted to make it apocalyptic, like life ending imminent fucking danger. You're in childhood appearing and all that kind of shit, like you're saying. And so we went straight for, uh, the, the same pedal, Joe Barisi and I electro harmonics, um, string nine, I think, or something like that. So we use a lot of electro harmonics on the record, some Mellotron pedals. They have just really really cool um, Mellotron-ish sort of effects. The strings even have this Mellotron, except it gets a little bit further, especially when you're distorting and, and stuff. Um, and I just played it with a slide and tried to follow it down, but the slop, more sloppy it got, kind of the better and fucked up it was. But yeah, I, I like that you get that because it definitely came from a like this real fucking nerdy, silly way of singing over that thing to like becoming quite tough, if I say so myself. Thanks, as always, to Sin. He will be back with us on the next episode of Tracks. Now, I don't know how to entice you more about the Mattel video than telling you it involves a plastic world, poop, fire, death, and cars flying through space. If that is not enough for you to go and check out and worship at the altar of the Mattel video, I don't know what to tell you. But what I do know what to tell you is that this is one of the ladies responsible for this video. This is the one and only Zoe Katz. This song was written three fucking years ago and there has been a phenomenon that's happened in cinemas this year with Barbie. So how much more difficult was your task made by the Barbie movie coming out? Oh my gosh, it, good and bad because number one, the fact that the Barbie movie is coming out is a great promotion for everything and anything Mattel and Barbie. Uh, so it, in a way, the timing was amazing. And yeah, as you said, Matt wrote this years ago without knowing that his release date would basically almost directly coincide with <laughs> Greta Gerwig's film. Um, so for that reason, I was like, damn, I have to see this movie. Obviously, I wanted to, but I needed to make sure that we weren't really copying any jokes or really copying any themes too directly. And there are some parallels because when you're talking about a doll that comes from a box, uh, who lives in a Barbie world, you know, there's going to be some similarities. But no, I saw the movie. I loved it. And it was really helpful to see, uh, to make sure we were truly doing something different. And also, hello, this is a, a metal band. Like, <laughs> our video is definitely a bit edgier than the movie and and tackles some themes that the Barbie movie would never do. So, uh, and the movie was great, by the way. I loved it. I was interested the fact that, like, 
that Greta Gerwig and the members of Avenged Sevenfold went the same direction. The theme of free will and how much do we control versus our environment. It felt like they were on the same page. So it felt like everyone picked up the same metaphor. Very bizarre. Totally. I don't, I think that's a, a required metaphor because in this song, uh, one of the first lyrics that stood out to me and that Matt also commented on in our first meeting was the lyrics. And in case I don't see you again, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, which is of course from the Truman show. And, uh, that is a little part of our theme. And I know that same for the Barbie movie, it does have some Truman show-esque elements. Of course, they're very different, but yes, it, it's a similar broader theme that I think we all caught on to, which yeah, is great. Can I ask what those meetings are like as well? So you, yourself and Chad's and whoever is involved talk about the video, but like, hey, I, I, he won't mind me saying this at all. When we were talking about you and your, um, your influence on the video, he was like, Zoe's great. She sends me videos of Barbie with dildos and flamethrowers and shit. It's amazing. So what is the meeting like when you are bouncing those ideas around? And is it easy to get on the same page with the guys? Well, honestly, M Shadows is so incredibly easy to work with, so receptive. And I think Chris Hopewell, the, the director of Nobody Said This as well, he truly trusts the artist that he works with, which is amazing. And I would say for the initial meeting, I came into it thinking about the Truman Show lyric. And I was like, oh, I hope, I hope he kind of wants to go this direction. And in our initial meeting before we discussed anything, he was like, I kind of want to do something like the Truman Show. I was like, okay, we're on the same page right away. Um, so that was amazing. And uh, we went back and forth discussing, you know, general themes. But uh, in general, Matt is so receptive and he's just, he's great to work with. He really trusted my ideas. Um, I made a treatment. Uh, he was still on tour and then he got back to me with his notes and we kind of went back and forth a few times, but it, it wasn't very extensive. It was, as you know, music videos go very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and this was about a month ago and, you know, with animation, it takes a while. So we quickly got the idea solidified and he said, the details are up to you make what what you decide. I was like, do you want me to send you a bunch of things along the way? He's like, I don't even care. You can send me a million things or nothing and I'll be good. I'm like, great. So I did, of course, we do have some pyrotechnics in this video um, where we burn Barbie dolls. So I, I basically the whole time sent Matt the craziest clips we were filming, you know, just experimenting with the Barbies. I have lots, I have hundreds and hundreds of props um, in my garage studio. So uh, I would just send him crazy clips. Yes, there is a, a dildo on a Barbie, which um, you will see a small, small glimpse of in the video, but not too much. Uh, but yeah, him and the whole band and his team were amazing and wonderful to work with. Great with artists. And it felt like they they gravitated towards you, not just for your um, experience with the visual aesthetic that they play with on this record, but also your humour. And like that is such a big part that runs through Avenged Sevenfold's music, which is so bizarre because it's so complicated. And when you listen to these shows, you realise how much goes into it and how much real human emotion is in there. But they've got a good sense of humour. Bands like Tool work like this as well. Zoe, like, forgive my ignorance because... I know you did a bunch of shit with Robot Chicken and we didn't get Adult Swim in the UK and maybe people are not au fait with that. Um, can you tell us a bit about your background and how this collaboration came to be? Totally. So um, for about the past decade, I've kind of, I started out making a YouTube channel just as a young girl where I essentially played with Barbie dolls, action figures, and I would go on eBay and to flea markets and I would buy the grossest, most disgusting toys and dolls. I would buy Barbie dolls from a hundred years ago or baby dolls from a hundred years ago or uh, some weird toy that some old dude replaced <laughs> the head and put a robot head on and, you know. Annabelle shit. <laughs> exactly. Annabelle, terrifying. Like, you know, and people are sometimes scared when they come and look at my collection that I have accumulated over the years. But I basically started accumulating a collection of dolls. I made 
a couple of web series back in the day. And uh, since then, I've kind of developed my own type of like juvenile puppetry type of films where I wiggle these little Barbie dolls uh, with crafty camera angles. I use only about 5% stop motion. The rest is really just purely my hands moving the dolls in unique ways. Um, and it developed from there. And uh, yeah, so I write on Robot Chicken. And if I understand the UK, uh, what it is, it is it is a stop motion uh, pop culture sketch show that also is very similar to my work. I write all the Barbie sketches for that show for the most part. And uh, we basically make fun of these toys in very adult and uh, shocking way. So check out Robot Chicken uh, on YouTube uh, if you haven't. We have a sketch on almost every toy that has ever existed. <laughs> it's been on since 2005. So every toy, yeah, we have it covered. And uh, I have a lot of knowledge about uh, toys and toy history and all the types of Barbies and stuff. So yeah, and then I, uh, I had done a video for Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains last year. No that shit. Yes, and uh, and that do uh, that video utilized only Barbie dolls as well. Yeah. Um, it had kind of themes about winding up a key. I'm a toy, like losing you know my power and my battery. And uh, Matt saw the video, and we went from there because uh, he wanted something similar. So yeah, but it's very different. I assure you. Holy shit! I love that you point to the fact that you have broken through with juvenile humor. Because it felt like when, as we were, as I was growing up, certainly it felt like that was a boys' club. But when fucking female humor started getting incorporated as well, it made everything so much bigger and better. I always use, I use in a modern example. I always use Rick and Morty as an example. It yeah. felt like after a couple of seasons, they decided to write for Summer and got some girls in, and suddenly Summer was like the best thing on the fucking show. Like I have to, I have to ask, like, why is it important to have? like a female perspective on comedy, especially from a juvenile perspective. Totally. They don't they don't expect fart and piss jokes from you, do they? No, they don't. And I, I do admit there aren't many of us women that truly, truly, truly like go go down with them. Um, but I think it's so important because I grew up watching all of these cartoons that everybody else watched, you know, I, I, I didn't really watch, you know, I didn't really ever, I guess, watch like mainstream Disney channel stuff. I always just watch like the weirdest, most obscure stuff. My humor developed from there. And I feel Can like- I ask what sort of shows you were watching at that point in time, just because everyone has the opportunity to stream whatever the fuck they want these days. Oh like God. what, what influenced you? Oh my gosh. Uh, there's a show called Wonder Shows In. Um, that's a great sketch, very controversial show, would get canceled today if it were to air. Yeah. Um, it, it utilizes puppets. It's basically like a parody of Sesame Street. Gotcha. Um, but very adult and it tackles race and sex. it tackles every taboo subject. Super funny. Um, that show was amazing. I obviously watched The Simpsons every night with my dad. Yeah. Um, that was very influential to me. SpongeBob is another amazing show. South Park was a huge yeah. inspiration because of South Park is very crude. And especially in the beginning seasons, they really did work with construction paper. And you'll see in the Mattel video, it, it is it is crude and it does draw a lot of inspiration from shows like South Park, you know, like the olden days when they really did craft everything. So huge inspiration. Zoe, this has been Fucking great. What is next? So people are going to have the Mattel video now. What's next for you? What have you got coming up? And where can, more importantly, where can people keep up to date with what you're doing? Because I'm certain that people are going to love this video. Awesome. Um, you can follow me at Zoe Katz on Instagram. I have a YouTube channel that is also my name, Zoe Katz. I have a lot of content there and you'll find my secret website uh, link there with really crazy, scary videos with all types of dolls. Um, and I do work in TV and film. There is a writer's strike right now, but um, you can find all updates there as well. Yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome to have Zoe on the show and awesome to have you here with us. Thank you for being part of the latest episode of Tracks. Don't forget, Avenged Sevenfold on tour right now. We're falling in reverse and Kim Dracula going across the United States of America until the middle slash end of October. 
subscribe. We'll be back soon with another episode of Tracks. I've been Bees. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time for another episode of Tracks. So at the very end, the outro is actually the the sounds on it is. Uh, It's Brian doing that with a with a red solo cup, I believe, or something. He had he was doing something at Joe Barisi's, um, and that's actually that that. So there's the drums, there's the piano, and then there's distorted bass with ominous guitar notes playing through it. But then there's that fifth thing that's happening, and it's Brian beatboxing with a little effect on him. <laughs>